Uh, John chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 30. John chapter 4, looking at verses 1 through 30. Let me read those and then we'll pray and we'll begin. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making more, making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirstier have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one now that you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then His disciples came back, and they marveled that He was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Father, we ask that you would open our minds and our hearts to the scriptures. We ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us that you would give us living water. We ask, God, that we might come to the well, to the wells of salvation this morning, that we might drink, that we might drink of your forgiveness, that we might drink of your righteousness, that we might drink of your 
your mission, that we might drink of, of our inheritance, Father, that we, that we might be satisfied in you. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I want you to put this in a little bit of perspective. So if, if you were with us in, in our um, God story this, this past Wednesday, we talk about gospel threads. After every section, we talk about the gospel threads. And what are the gospel threads? They're the, the threads, if you will, through the tapestry of God's story where we see Jesus, okay? Uh, so Jesus isn't, doesn't become man. He doesn't step out of the heavens and become man into the incarnation until Bethlehem. But, but all throughout the Old Testament, we are seeing glimpses of him, right? And, and the Jews and, and the people of Israel were awaiting the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah, right? They, they knew, just like we, we talk about in the God story, that in Genesis 3.15, when, when God tells Adam and Eve and the serpent right, right after the fall that, that there's going to come one, there's going to come an offspring of the woman, and, and he's going to crush your head, Satan, Okay, they're looking for the one who's going to defeat Satan. In, in 2 Kings chapter 7, when, when God is speaking to David and he tells David, he said, David, I'm going to build you a house. Okay, not, not a house, but like a dynasty. I'm going I'm, I'm to build you a dynasty and, and there's going to be one from your family, David, who's going to sit on the throne and he's going to reign forever and ever. He's going to reign eternally. They're looking for that one. In the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53 describes somebody who's going to carry our our, our sins, who's going to bear our burdens, who's going to be sacrificed for our iniquities. They're looking for that one. They're looking for the Messiah. And now, after all those thousands of years, he is here, all right? He's arrived. He's, he's, He's preaching. The kingdom of God has begun. This gospel of John is telling his story. And this is the first person that he's going to reveal himself to officially in his ministry, all right? Now, when you think about all the thousands of years that the Jews had been waiting for the Messiah, they had been waiting for this one who's going to crush Satan's head, this one who's going to reign forever and ever, this one who's going to, who's going to save the world, this one who, who in Genesis 12, God told Abraham, there's going to come one from your family, and he's going to bless every family on the face of the earth. They're looking for this one, and, and now he's here, and who's going to get to be the first one that Jesus is going to officially reveal, I am the Messiah, right? He's already done miracles. He's already taught. He's calling disciples, but he hasn't just come out publicly and said, hey, I'm the one. I'm the Messiah. And and this is the first one he's going to reveal himself to. And she gets to be first. Now, isn't it incredible when God is picking who's going to be the first Who's going to be the first to to, to get to hear from Jesus? I am the Messiah. Isn't it incredible that it is, let's, let's, let's think about this, it's a woman, okay? It's a Samaritan woman, meaning a racially oppressed, discriminated against woman. Samaritans were, were a mixed race. Uh, when, when the exile happened and, and Israel was driven or, 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 or enslaved and taken off into, into Babylon, right? There were a few Jews left in Israel in this destroyed place. And then, then the Babylonians sent back uh, into Israel, actually the Assyrians first, they sent back into, the, into their land, Assyrians and Babylonians, to populate the area. And they intermarried with, with the Jews that were left, and they became the Samaritans. And then when the Jews came back, you know, there's this hostility 
uh, at sometimes breaking forth into war. There, there, was, there was a rival temple built, built in the north. And, and so there, there, this is a, what you would call a discriminated against woman, okay? And, and the Jews of Jesus' day hated Samaritans so much that it had become a kind of a curse word almost. In fact, if you go to John 8, I think this is, this is in the scriptures here. John 8, and I think it's verse uh, 48. Uh, the Pharisees are mad at Jesus. And so look, look at what they call him. The Jews answered him, are, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and you have a demon, okay? So, so like whenever you made somebody real mad, they were like, well, you Samaritan, you know? Um, now, yeah, it was a curse word, right? That, that's what they, it was a derogatory term. And so here you've got a woman, first of all. So she's, she's, she's considered not equal in society with men at this time, all right? She's a Samaritan woman. But not only is she a Samaritan woman, she's a woman who her own people have rejected because of her past failures and her present immorality. She's had five husbands, and the guy she's with, living with right now, is not her husband. And this is the gal Jesus picks to reveal himself too, okay? Now, Sherry's smiling. Who loves that? I love that. Like, like who? only God would do that. Only God would do that. Only God would, would pick this gal, okay? And by the way, uh, I, was, I was thinking about the connection here. Guess who is the first person to get to see the resurrected Jesus, right? So Jesus is going to complete his ministry, three years of ministry. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to be buried in the tomb. He's going to, on the third day, raise from the dead. And who is the first to see him raised from the dead? It's Mary Magdalene, gal who's, who's had seven demons cast out of her. Today, she would have been considered clinically insane, probably in in an insane asylum, you know, with this dark path. That's who Jesus picks as the first to reveal himself. I mean, there's a message here, guys. There's a very clear message, all right? Uh, Friends, if, if men were making up this book as some people believe, right? You're going to find people out in our society who say, this is all just a made-up book. This is all written by men. Okay, if it were written by men, they would not have written those things, okay? Like, nobody makes that up. No, no, nobody makes up. God steps out of the heavens and comes into, you know, first of all, he's born of a teenage woman who, again, is ostracized, right? And, and then he finally starts his ministry and reveals himself first to a Samaritan woman with five past failed marriages who's living with a guy. And then he raised from the dead, and and the first one he appears to is a gal who's had seven demons cast out of her. I mean, nobody would do that. Nobody would write that. Only God would do things like that. My friends, Jesus wants and treasures the people that nobody else wants. That is fantastic. That is fantastic. Verse 4 says, he had to pass through Samaria. If you've got the old King James Version, uh, lots of preachers uh, base sermons on, on that, that, that phrase there because it said he must, let's see, what did it say? He, he must needs. I think that's the way the old King James Version worded it. He must needs go through Samaria. Uh, in, in other words, there were different ways to go through Samaria, go around Samaria. In fact, the Jews would go around it. They wouldn't go through it. If they were going from, up from Galilee down to Jerusalem, they would, they would cross the Jordan, go through Perea, and come down in, in, into Jerusalem, or they'd go along the coast. But they wouldn't go straight through it. Jesus goes straight through it. Why does he go straight through it? He's got an appointment. He's got an appointment with this gal, this lady. Now, now when we think about this lady... 
And, you know, she's had five past failed marriages, living with a guy out of wedlock right now in immorality. Please do not take from that that God is okay with sin. Okay, I, th- I, think, we need to, I think we need to clarify that. Um, he, he's not okay with sin. Uh, he's going to, just wait, just give me a few minutes. He's going to confront her on her sin, all right? But not only is he going to confront her on her sin, he's going to heal her from her sin. He's going to transform her heart. He's going to change her, all right? But the point we're making in him going to her first is that God is not partial. Romans 2.11 says, God shows no partiality. God does not prefer one type or class or race of people above another. God is not fooled by a slicked up outside and a rotting inside. God, Jesus goes to everybody. Isn't it cool? In, in, in John 3, we just went through this a couple weeks ago. In John 3, Jesus has this nighttime conversation with Nicodemus. How did we describe Nicodemus if you were here that morning? We described him as, if you lived in that town, he's probably the best guy in town, you know? If you just took a pool at the coffee shop or the cafe and said, hey, who's the best guy around here? Probably Nicodemus would get a lot of votes, right? I mean, he's, he's an upright guy. He's a, he's a moral guy. He's a, he's a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. He's a teacher of the law. He's a teacher of Israel. He, he, he was a... He was a fan of Jesus. Like, this is a great guy. So in Genesis 3, Jesus is with the great guy of the town. In, in Genesis, or not Genesis, in John. I've been in God's story. In John 3, he's with, he's with the great guy of the town. In John 4, he's with the, the loose lady of the town. God does not show partiality. I want you to notice this conversation, man. There's a lot here that I think we can learn uh, for ourselves. I don't know about you guys, but I want to be like Jesus, okay? And, and so there's kind of two sides of this passage for me. There's this living water that I want and you want, and I want you to have it, okay? But also, I want to be like Jesus. And, and, and so there's, there's some great things here just about being like Jesus. I want you to notice that Jesus treats this lady with a shocking a surprising amount of dignity. Okay, now I say shocking because everybody's shocked, all right? If you'll notice, so he's at the well. This lady comes up who normally a Jewish man would not even talk to, would not talk to this lady, uh, even if he didn't know her. He still wouldn't talk to her. She, she's a woman, and she's a stranger, and then on top of that, she's a Samaritan, and if he didn't know her and knew her past, he absolutely probably leaves, all right? And here she comes up and Jesus initiates a conversation with her. In verse 9, he not only initiates a conversation, but he says, the Samaritan woman said to him, or I'm sorry, in verse uh, uh, 7, he says, give me a drink. And in verse 9, the Samaritan woman said, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Like, like basically, she's like, why are you talking to me? You know, like, how, how, how is it that you're a Jewish man and you're talking to me, a Samaritan woman? All right, later on in the chapter, when, when the, the disciples come back, I think it's verse 27, so just as the disciples came back, they marveled that he's talking with a woman, all right? Like, this is a shocking thing for Jesus to do. Why? Because in verse 9, she, she, she puts it out there like it is. She says, Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans. In other words, they don't interact. They don't have conversations. They don't insert themselves into each other's lives. They don't ask others for help. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says, hey, can we share water jugs? You know, like, like I see you got some water there. Can, can you give me a drink? Can I, can I drink out of your bucket? Can I drink out of your pail? You know, 
Jews would not even share utensils with Samaritans. That was the racial hatred between these two groups. And Jesus is like, hey, you got water? You got a jug there? Can, can I have a drink of your water? He treats her with this shocking, gracious, dignified way. Friends, I want to be like Jesus. I think you want to be like Jesus. So I, I just want to pause here and I just want to ask you, is there a group of people that you don't have dealings with? You know, I think as we look at our lives, we got to ask ourselves, man, is there somebody that I don't have dealings with? Is, is there a group of people that I, I've isolated myself from that, that's around me, that's in my neighborhood? I, I, I should have dealings with them. Jesus sure did. All right, next. Jesus intends to give this gal an indescribable gift. Um, verse 10 is beautiful. Jesus answered her, if you knew, the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. Here's what Jesus is saying. If she knew what Jesus had and what Jesus could give, if she knew the value of what Jesus could give in her life, she would be asking him. She would be seeking him. Here's what I learned from that. The reason... She's not interested in Jesus is because she doesn't know him. She does not see the glory that he could give. Let's just make this a generic statement. Do you know why people don't seek God? We live in a world full of people that's not interested in God. We live in a town full of people that the things of God, the scriptures, the gospel is way down, like 32nd, 98th on the list of the things that are important to them, the, the things that they want, the things that they de desire, the things they dream about. They're just not interested. I mean, just not. Uh, it's not even that most people in Woodward, Oklahoma are anti-God or anti-Bible or anti. They're just not interested. Why are they not interested? Jesus answers it right here. They don't, they don't know. They don't know. That, that's kind of our job, right? They don't know who it is. They don't know the character of Jesus. They don't know the indescribable value of the gift. Why aren't they pouring over his word like it's a treasure map? Why don't they call out to him night and day to satisfy their soul? Because they don't know him. This woman is approached by the king of kings, the one with the power to give her billions of years of joy inexpressible. And her answer is what? Why are you talking to me? Jews don't have dealings with Samaritans. She doesn't know. We live full of we live in a world full of people ignoring God, walking right past the scriptures, avoiding conversations about Jesus, bored with worship and the preaching of the gospel because they don't know the gift of God and who it is who says to them, give me a drink. Verse 11 reveals two more problems. Two more problems that, that plague this gal, they plague us. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you got nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? All right, two big problems in this lady's life that's got to be overcome. Number one, she is aiming way too low, okay? She's aiming way too low. I, I actually believe this is the systemic problem in America is that, is that if you ask people, man, what, what's your wildest dream? What, if you could have anything, they, they're just aiming way too low. 
If you remember that famous C.S. Lewis quote, I've heard many of you quote it before. I, I can't do it from memory, but it's something like, we live in a world full of people that are playing in the mud puddle in the parking lot when, when, when the ocean is right over there, you know? Like, like we live in people that are aiming too low. They're aiming too low. Verse 11, you know? Hey, where are you going to get that living water? You don't even have a bucket, you know? I mean, she... She's, she's aiming at, well, you know, if you could give me indoor plumbing, you know, if, if you could give me, you know, f- free-flowing water, if you could supply water for me so I wouldn't have to come here and I wouldn't have to draw, you know, that'd be great. But, you, you know, you don't have, she, she's aiming way too low. Her desires are too small. Her expectations of what would satisfy her soul are too low. Jesus is offering the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. He's offering the forgiveness of sins. He's offering imputed righteousness. He's offering eternal life and the joy of the Lord. And she she wants a water hydrant, right? I mean, she's, I mean, literally she, her thought is, well, man, if you could give living water, if, if you could give me free flowing water, so I would not have to come here. By the way, I think there's a lot of implications about coming here. I think she's a, she's a shamed woman. I think she's a rejected, ostracized woman. I think coming to the well was a painful thing. I think she's coming in the middle of the day at the sixth hour because that's when nobody else comes. She's coming in the heat of the day. She's avoiding all the whispers. She's avoiding all the, the, the chatter about her. She's avoiding the looks. She's avoiding the disdain. She's a shamed woman. She's thinking, well, if you could give me living water, that'd be great, but you don't even have a bucket, dude. Right? I mean, her, her aim of what Jesus could give is so small. She just wants to minimize her shame. She wants to avoid the other women of the village. She wants to avoid the looks, the whispers, the derogatory insults. Man, how often is the case that, you know what, we, we just want to pay the bills. We just want an afternoon nap. We just want reprieve from our pain. We just want to avoid conflict. We just want to not have to deal with the mess. Our wildest dreams, I'm telling you, for a lot of Americans, their wildest dreams is a quiet retirement. Maybe a little land on Grand Lake. Jesus is offering the glorious riches of heaven. Jeremiah 2.13 is a great verse. Jeremiah confronts the Israelites and he says, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Like that, that's the plague of humanity right there. You know what a cistern is, right? You, you, dig, a, you dig an indentation in a rock and then the rain comes and it, it fills up and then you got water, Right? You got water, but the mosquitoes are breeding in it, and the, you know, camels are, you know, doing camel stuff in it, and you know, and it's broken and it's leaking, right? And and here, here's the picture. God says, You've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Living water is like a spring. It's a spring that comes up from the ground, crisp, cool water. God says, I'm I'm the fountain of living waters, and you don't want me. You've forsaken me. And and you you hewed out for yourselves. These little broken cisterns, you know, and you, you've got your little pile of money there and you've got your little pile of success and you've got, your, you've got your little pile of pride and accomplishments and that's what you want instead of me. So problem number one, she's aiming too low. Problem number two, she has no confidence in Jesus. 
Hey, Jesus, what can you do for me? You don't have a bucket. Are you, then she pulls this one. Are you greater than our father Jacob who dug this well? That's really funny. I, I mean, John's got a sense of humor, right? She's talking to the king of kings. She's talking to the one who knit Jacob together in his mother's womb. She's talking to the great I am. She's like, are you greater than him? Can you dig better than Jacob? <laughs> yeah, he can. She's missing this, verse 13. She's missing the quality of what Jesus can give. Look, look at 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give, this is 14, that I give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Think about water. Think about the qualities of water that I think Jesus wants us to see here. Why, why does he describe what he gives as water? A um, couple of reasons. I, I think number one, um, water gives life, okay? Or maybe say it like this, if you don't have it, you die. Um, I mean, that's just a fact. You can't get around that. If you, if you, if you, don't, if you, if you don't have water, you die. Um, and, and, you, and you die a really miserable, painful death. And, and you die a really suffering death. Um, I, I mean, the, the, the movie that sticks out in my mind is Unbroken. Uh, how many of you saw that, that movie about those, um, those pilots that crashed in the, in the Pacific and they're on that raft and man, for I don't know how many days and, and they, they, you know, the big deal, I mean, you got sharks, you got Japanese trying to shoot at, you know, you got all kinds of problems, but, but the biggest problem is you don't have water and, and the, the greatest suffering was not having water. So, so water gives life, and so I think Jesus describes what he gives in salvation and through the Holy Spirit as water because it gives life. It not only gives life, but it gives eternal life, okay? But second, and, and this is the part that I love, it satisfies. You know, when you're really thirsty, there's a certain satisfaction that really is unique to having a good drink, right? Like, like a cold, crisp glass of water, when you're really thirsty. And, and here's the truth about us all. We're thirsty. We're thirsty for significance, for meaning in life, for love, for, for, to be loved, for friendship, for comfort, for security, for safety, for happiness, for joy. The things that the woman is aiming at, her physical comfort, her respect of her community, an easier life, she, she's thirsty for those things. That, that, that's the beauty of Jesus' metaphor here is he, he's like, you're thirsty. You're thirsty for something. I'm, I'm not talking about physical thirst anymore. I'm talking about your soul is hungering for something. And here's the thing. Whatever you get besides Jesus, you're just gonna be thirsty again. That, that, that maybe is my favorite phrase in this entire great passage is when he says in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Like whatever you fill your soul with in this life, count on it, you're, it won't satisfy. You're gonna be thirsty again. It won't fix you. It won't fix the hole in your soul. It would seem for this woman, marriage, relationship, family, 
hath not satisfied her soul. It had not fulfilled her. It had not quenched her thirst for love and acceptance and friendship and meaning. It just made her thirstier. Five times, can you imagine? Five times she's gone to the altar. She's put on the dress. She's had the bouquet. She'd made the promises forever. She'd had the hope of happiness. She went on the honeymoon only to be broken and thirsty again. Guys, how many new things do we have to buy to learn this? How many new relationships do we have to try to learn this? How many new schemes do we have to exalt, scheme to exalt ourselves? Do we have to, to put ourselves in the spotlight? How, how, many, how many things need to go exactly like we want them to go before we figure out we're just going to be thirsty again? I, I don't care how good you have it. You're just going to be thirsty again. All right, now. This is, this is a risky thing, okay? This is risky because you could take this wrong, especially if you're half listening, okay? So if you've been on quarter speed so far or half speed, all right, I need to be on full speed for about three minutes, okay? Because uh, I don't want you to miss what I'm saying here, okay? I, I'm laying in my bed last night. It's about 11 p.m. I'm tired, and, and I'm just thinking about this past. I'm thinking about this woman. And, and I'm just thinking about my life. I'm thinking about my day. And, and I'm thinking... Think about how this relationally broken lady, how thirsty she must have been. But then I start thinking about myself. I went yesterday and picked up my daughter. It's her 28th birthday today. And she's got my little granddaughter who looks exactly like her. It's like looking at, it's like a time machine, you know. And, and she's got my little baby granddaughter, and we brought them back from the airport. I dropped my son off at the airport, and he flew to D.C. helping my son-in-law drive the rental truck across the country. You know, they're, they're heading across Tennessee right now. And, and, and we come home, and my girls, my two girls come back from Colorado, you know, full of Jesus, full of adventure, full of stories. My parents are right in the middle of wheat harvest. And my dad is, is, was just yesterday cutting you wouldn't believe the, the yield that he was getting on that field, all right? You come ask him afterward, all right? He's going he's gonna to hate this. Here's what he's going to say. He's going, well, that's it. Though. We're, we're going to be in the worst stuff from now on, and he's going to downplay it. But I mean, just God's, God's incredible blessing, you know? And then they get this shower. They get this shower yesterday, and he's able to peel off and come, and they get to meet Junior. And they get to, so we're there at supper last night, and I got my parents, and I got my daughters just home. I got my oldest daughter, and my granddaughter, and I got my wife, and got my little boy, and we're there at the table, and, 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 and man, I, I'm, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking about blessing here, right? And, and, and I start all, all day, I'm, I, I've got this going on in me. I'll just be honest. I want to be a good son. I want to be a good son, and I want to be a good husband, and I want to be a good father, and I want to be a good grandfather, and I want to be a good pastor, and I want to be a good friend. Man, sometimes it's hard to fit all that in, you know? And, and I'm feeling the, the pressure and the strain of that. And, 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 and by being, being a good, I, I'm saying, I, want to, I want to say meaningful things, and I want to have meaningful moments, and I want to be there when people need me, and, and, and all of that. And here's what just hit me last night as I'm laying in my bed. Man, I am never enough. I'm never enough. Do, see, here's what I don't want you to misunderstand. I, I'm not saying I don't have enough. I, I'm just, I, I'm never enough. Like, I can't, it won't, I, I can't do it. It won't, it won't satisfy my soul. It won't satisfy their souls. 
they'll just get thirsty again. I'll just get thirsty again. It's a beautiful thing last night. It's not enough. But Jesus is always enough. That's what, that's what just hit me as we were laying in bed. I was talking to my wife. I was telling my wife this very same thing. I was like, man, I just I feel this like I want to be, but I know I'm not. But then I, I came back to, but he is. He, he is enough. Like the gospel is enough. Okay? What Jesus gives it becomes in you. This is so beautiful. It becomes in you a spring of water welling up. This is uh, 14. A spring of water welling up to eternal life. What, what, what's the significance of a spring? You go back to it again and again and again and again and again. And, and you're refreshed and, and, and you're filled over and over and over for all eternity. What is this spring? Look at look at. Uh, Look at John 7, 38. Let's go a couple pages in your Bible. John 7, 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. Jesus gives this Holy Spirit inside of you and you come back and drink. You come back to the certainty of the truth of the gospel again and again. You come back again and again to your forgiven. You come back to again and again that you are justified. You come back again and again that you are made righteous, not with your own works, not with your own good deeds, not having to be good enough. You come back to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You come back to the love of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. You come back to the hope the secured, grounded hope of a billion years stretching out in front of you, joined to Jesus in fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. You come back and drink again and again. You come back to the promise that he's working all things out for good, even your suffering. You come back again to the reality that the sufferings of this present time are producing glory for eternity. And you keep drinking and you keep drinking. A well in you, welling up to eternal life. All right, her response to that. Verse 15. Uh, no, 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 that's not right. Um, her response, um, where is that at? Oh, I'm in John 7. That's, that's why that didn't work. Uh, her response, verse 15. The woman said, well, sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. What's her response? Okay, yeah, give me the indoor plumbing. I'll take it. You don't have a bucket, but if you can do this, all right. All right, what's Jesus do? Go call your husband. Come back here. What's he doing? Jesus is putting his finger on the wound in this woman's heart. You see, she's got to face her brokenness. You and I got to do that. We got to face our brokenness. We got to face, I'm not enough. I'll never be enough. She answers real skillfully, by the way. This gal was no dummy. I've got, I have no husband. I think she said it with a smile and confidence. I have no husband. He's like, yeah, you're right. You're not married, but you've had five. 
And the guy you're living with in an immoral relationship right now is not your husband. Folks, we gotta, we gotta face our sin. We gotta face our need for Jesus. If you keep telling yourself that your cancer is a cold, you're never gonna go to the oncologist. Our sin is deadly. It's hell-producing. It's God-dishonoring. Now is not the time to pretend we're fine. Now is not the time to compare ourselves, herself to others by pointing out their sins and her virtues. Now is not the time to justify her sin uh, due to the hardness of her life or the bigness of her obstacles. Now is not the time to, to play it off. She needs to see the brokenness of her sin, that her heart is not right, that she's at odds with God. That, that her relational history is a picture of the brokenness in her own soul. But you remember what we looked at last week in John 3, right? And when we're in sin, we don't like the light. We stay out of the light. The light exposes us, and we don't like to be exposed. And, and so Jesus just whoosh, turns the spotlight right on her. Now, now again, not, not in a cruel way. Why? Because he wants to change her. Remember Titus 2.14, we looked at this last year. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's what he's doing in her. He, he's, not just, he's not being mean. He's, he's actually exposing your sin because that, that's the only way you, you see your need and turn to Jesus. Second obstacle, she needs to see that Jesus is able and willing to save. Isn't it great that Jesus knows everything about her and he still wants her? Jesus knows everything about the shameful, dark, sinful stains in her life and he still wants, she's trying to hide. She's trying to duck out of the spotlight. I don't have no husband, you know? Jesus is like, look, I know you. I know, I know, I know the whole story. I mean, you gotta watch that Chosen episode. But I came here for you. I want you. What happens when the spotlight comes to our sin? What happens in Oklahoma, particularly, when the spotlight hits somebody's sin? We do exactly what she does. We talk about religion. Like you, 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 you test that out. Whenever things get, you're talking to somebody about Jesus and whenever you zero in on them and Jesus, on their sin and, and, and Christ's death and resurrection and obedience and faith and repentance, when you get down to the thing that would really save people's souls, you know what they want to do? It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a diversion tactic. Well, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. So let me ask you the most perplexing religious question that I can think of. You know, where should we worship? You know, the Jews say we should worship down in Jerusalem in the temple. That's the only place to worship. But the Samaritans, we, we follow Abraham. Abraham worshiped on Mount Gerizim and we built a temple up there. So which is it right? Are the Jews right or are the Samaritans right? What's she doing? I gotta get this light off me, right? I don't wanna talk about my sin. I don't wanna talk about my past. I don't wanna talk about my brokenness. Let's talk religion. Let's talk politics. That's what people do today. What do you think? And it's all just smokescreen. Jesus says, I'll quickly answer this. He's like, lady, 
The hour is coming. What hour is he talking about? This is in 23. He's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. The hour is coming when it's not going to be about where. <laughs> it's not about Jerusalem. It's not about Mount Gerizim. It's not about here or there. Who, what ceremony? What? No, it's the hour is coming. It's going to be about spirit and truth. It's going to be about how do you respond to Jesus Christ? That's what it's going to be about. Man, I, I love John's attention to detail here. She says, well, I know Messiah's coming. And when he comes, he's going to tell us all things. And then look at, look at verse 26. I'm he. I am the one. Verse 28. Disciples come back and she leaves her jar. Okay, now, just unimportant detail that John happens to include, or is it, is it a really important detail? She leaves her jar. What'd she come there for? Water, right? What, the whole time she was caught up, well, if you can give me indoor plumbing, if you can give me, you know, if you, if you can give me living water, if you can give me a way that I don't have to come here and draw, that, that, that's pretty good. All of a sudden, she's not interested in water physical water anymore she she leaves her jar what a few minutes ago was so important to her now is unimportant at all compared to what she has discovered in Jesus and then man I love this and then this Samaritan woman this immoral woman with a dark past who has discovered Jesus is the Messiah and has had a full 10 minutes of training, goes to be the greatest evangelist of her city. So for, for those of you who feel like, I just don't know enough, you know, I just don't know enough to be able to, to, to go and be useful for God. I don't know enough to go tell somebody else about Jesus. I don't know. Let me tell you, you, you could not know less than this gal, okay? She, she knows this. That guy right there at the well, he's the Messiah. And he told me everything I ever did. He knows everything about my life. You need to come see him. And hopefully we'll talk more about that next week. I just want to finish asking you, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? I think you are. You're, you're thirsty. Man, we got this cavernous hole inside of us that we're trying to fill with all this other stuff. And even when we get it, what do we find out? Now I'm still thirsty. Because only Jesus will fill that up. Only Jesus. So come to him. If you knew the gift of God, and if you knew who he is, you would ask. That's what I'm telling you this morning. You'd ask. You'd ask now. You'd ask for living water. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for, for the indescribable gift of the living water, the spring of water that wells up within us, that flows into eternal life. And Father, I'm asking you to, to give us that living water. Lord Jesus, please give us the, the water of life. God, I pray for thirsty souls this morning to come to you, that they would come again and drink from, 
your forgiveness and drink from your, your eternal goodness, God, that they would come and drink from your righteousness, that they would come and drink from, from your providential plan, God, to make all things new. God, that they would drink and be satisfied and that they would keep drinking. Father, bless them this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.